As you grab your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We'll be there in just a few moments. I want to welcome you to week two of a series entitled, Jesus Said What? If you read scripture, there's a number of things that Jesus said. You go, all right, he's the son of God. It's, it's in the Bible. It's got to be true, but it just doesn't sound right sometimes to our ears that are so accustomed to our own culture. Today, I want to help us as we unpack another one of the hard sayings of Jesus as we focus on a subject that Jesus addressed that affects nearly every person in this room. It's the issue of divorce. Divorce and remarriage have become so commonplace in our world and the church that many of us here today, if we've not experienced it ourselves personally, there is most likely somebody in our family or extended family or a close friend who's experienced the pain and the fracture that divorce brings. I uh, read a while back of a local news station that was interviewing an 84-year-old lady because she had just gotten married for the fourth time. The interviewer asked her questions about her life and what it felt like to be marrying at age 84. And then asked her about her new husband's occupation. He's a funeral director, she answered. Interesting, the newsman thought. He then asked her if she wouldn't mind telling him a little about the first three husbands she had and what they did for a living. She explained that her first husband was a banker that she married when she was in her 20s. Then her second husband was a circus ringmaster. She married him in her 40s. Later on, she married a preacher when she was in her 60s and now in her 80s, a funeral director. The interviewer looked at her and quite astonished, she asked, Why had you married these men with such diverse careers and backgrounds? She smiled and responded, I married one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. As I read that, I thought, that can't be true. You know, we may laugh at the wit of this woman, but the fact is that there's nothing humorous or funny when a marriage ends prematurely, especially when it is a result of divorce. There's nobody who wins when divorce takes place. There's only losers. It leaves us with a wake of mistrust, hurt, anger, and depression. It leaves an open wound in our heart that just doesn't quite seem to heal back the way things were before. And often it's the children who bear the heaviest toll of anybody. Over 40 years ago, no-fault divorce began to dismantle the sanctity of marriage in America. And now we have a generation of grown children of divorce who are bringing their unresolved anger, hurt, insecurities into their own marriages. The cycle continues and it gets worse and worse. In the face of a culture of divorce, Jesus' words sound intolerant or politically incorrect. I want you to listen as I read Mark chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. This is Jesus speaking. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. I can just feel the pushback right now of our culture cringing at these words. I mean, wow, Jesus. I mean, that's, 
It's a little judgmental, isn't it? Hello? He's the judge. He's the one who has the right and the ability to set a standard. You see, Jesus' words seem unrealistic and harsh to us because we live in a culture that has accepted divorce as the norm. There used to be a stigma that was attached to divorce, but not so much anymore. It appears that people move in and out of marriage as though they go through a revolving door. We can look at people in Hollywood and see that they seem to jump into marriage so quickly and almost just as quickly they make plans to, to separate or divorce or end that marriage. And the real tragedy is that there appears to be no difference in the church. Christ's followers should know better. But statistics tell us that divorce among professing Christians is no different than among those who do not claim to know Christ. In fact, in some areas of the country, it's even higher among Christians. In the face of a crumbling society where marriage is increasingly defined by whatever terms that are convenient to you, Jesus calls us as his followers to a standard of marriage that has stood the test of time. He challenges us not to take our cues from Hollywood or from culture or from people around us, but to take our cues from a holy God who invented marriage. He's the one who was the architect and the builder of marriage. That's the context of Jesus' words that we have read today in, in Mark. I want you to turn with me now to Matthew and look at Matthew chapter 19. We'll focus in on verse 3 through 9 for the rest of our time this morning. I want us to engage in this conversation that prompts these words from Jesus about divorce that he talks about. Listen to verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for, for any and every reason? See, there were two basic schools of thought about divorce among the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And these Pharisees are trying to nail Jesus down to one of these two groups. The debate centered on the interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24 at the beginning, which reads, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, he finds something indecent about her, then he can write a certificate of divorce. The conservative school of thought interpreted something indecent to be very narrowly defined as sexual immorality. Divorce would be allowed only in such circumstances. On the other hand, the liberal school of thought of the religious leaders of Jesus' day interpreted something indecent to be much broader, including minor things such as, I don't like what you cook today. I'm not sure I like the way you look anymore. You didn't take care of the kids the way I hoped, or you didn't clean the house the way that I wished. For them, it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. Sound familiar? Jesus addressed attitudes similar to today toward marriage. In the broader society today, no-fault divorce allows couples to terminate their marriage for any and every reason, just like then. And even in the church, we've become complicit with this mindset. We find that when marriage starts to go sour, we want to know if we have grounds for divorce. Instead of asking, can I save my marriage, many are asking the question more frequently and say, do I have grounds, do I have grounds for divorce? If my husband committed adultery ten years ago, can I biblically get out of this marriage? 
if my wife had an affair before we became Christians? Does that qualify for biblical grounds for divorce? My husband is addicted to pornography. Does that kind of sexual immorality qualify for grounds for divorce? My wife is emotionally abusive to me. Will God allow me out of this marriage? What are the grounds? What are the grounds for divorce? We find people asking over and over and over. A few years back, there was a movie that was released called Fireproof. It was a movie that was much better than I anticipated. I didn't think it was going to be a bad movie, but I had no idea the impact it would not only have on me, but on people that I cared about and loved on. This movie is one where we find a young fireman whose marriage is falling apart. Early in the film, there is a scene that reflects this bent towards giving up, seeking a way out instead of fighting for the marriage. I want you to watch this clip with me as we see an attitude that is very similar to the culture that we live in today. Honey, I agree with you. You got to get out. He don't deserve you. You can say that again. A real man's got to be a hero to his wife before he can be to anybody else. Well, he ain't a real man. Catherine, do you need a place to stay? I can't imagine living in the same house with that man. No, I decided last night that I'm not the one that's leaving. He's the problem, not me. That's right, girl. Stand your ground. Make him respect you. If there's one thing a man understands... It's respect. That's the issue. That's the reason our marriage is failing. She shows me no respect at all. And the saddest part about it is... He doesn't have a clue. He thinks our marriage has been fine for the most part. Mm. You know, he probably thinks... Our marriage has been fine until this year. Now, all of a sudden, she goes off the deep end. Do you really think this happened all of a sudden? I don't know what to think. I don't understand her. She's emotional about everything. She's easily offended and way too sensitive. I mean, he's so insensitive. No. He doesn't truly care how I feel. He doesn't listen to me. Even if I say it over and over and over again. And then she starts nagging me and, and saying I don't listen to her or, or something like that. It drives me crazy. I feel like I'm going insane. You know, he doesn't understand my needs. I feel like we are completely and totally incompatible. She's probably whining to her friends, making me sound like a criminal. I can see him all right now, crying, having some sort of group hug. It's going to be okay, sweetie. It's going to be all right. You'll get through So you think it's past the point of no return? I don't have a reason to return. This is the attitude towards marriage in a culture of divorce. But Jesus refuses to be pinned down by this pharisaical discussion of grounds for divorce he isn't interested in taking sides jesus is more interested in giving reasons for us to stop fighting with each other and to start fighting for our marriage and notice how jesus responds to the pharisees question here in verse four through six he poses his own question haven't you read he replied that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus is saying, the issue is not finding grounds for divorce. The issue is honoring God's covenant for marriage. Jesus is reaffirming God's original plan for marriage covenant is extremely important to god 
And if you call yourself a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, you must both understand and commit to covenant. When it comes to marriage, that's what God's original plan is. It's a covenant. Well, what does a marriage covenant mean? The marriage covenant is a sacred, God-witnessed, public, mutually binding, irrevocable relationship between two persons who willingly promise to choose to love each other for life. Remember, a covenant is very different than a contract. If we enter into a contract and and one of us breaks the contract, that's the end of that contract. And that contract is now null and void. And and, and that other person is not liable to be held to that contract anymore. But a covenant is very different. Covenant means that even if your partner violates that covenant, you remain faithful to it. That's exactly what God has done for you and I. We have been unfaithful to him, yet he remains faithful to us. God repeatedly refers to the marriage covenant as an example of a relationship that we have with them, identifying us as the bride and him as the bridegroom. We see that in Hosea's life. May God rise up in us the heart of Hosea in our day. The Bible is a story of God's irrevocable covenant he has made with his people. Jesus says, I don't want to spend my time searching for grounds for divorce. I want to talk about the foundation of marriage. What God has joined together, let man not separate. But pastor, God wasn't in my marriage to begin with. How do you know that? Well, we got married for the wrong reasons. What does that have to do with anything? People get married for silly reasons all the time. When asked why you get married, some would say, I I thought he looked good in uniform. I wanted to get away from my parents. We wanted to stop living in sin. We got pregnant. I thought nobody else would marry me. She made me feel so good about myself. There's a million dumb reasons why people get married, but the fact is when we are married, we are one flesh. Look at Jesus' words. You are no longer two, but you are one. Listen to C.S. Lewis's words. Divorce is like cutting up a living body. It is more like cutting your legs off than it is dissolving a business partnership. It is nothing like the modern view suggesting a simple readjustment to be made whenever people feel they are no longer in love with one another or when either of them falls in love with someone else. Divorce is like cutting up your body. It's like having your arms and legs amputated. Church, if, if we actually believed that and we lived that out, imagine the witness that we could be to a world that has jettisoned so far from God's plan for marriage. I want us to revisit this movie Fireproof again and listen to some wise counsel one friend gives to another. Forty days. Catherine, no. I'm not going to tell her. If she wants to go ahead and file, that's up to her. Divorce is a hard thing, man. Well, if it brings peace. But Caleb, you want the right kind of peace. What do you mean by that? Do you know what that ring on your finger means? It means I'm married. Yeah, well, it also means you made a lifelong covenant. You putting on that ring while saying your vows. The sad part about it is when most people promise for better or for worse, they really only mean for the better. 
Catherine and I were in love when we got married. But today, <clears throat> we're two very different people. All right? It's just not working out anymore. Caleb, <clears throat> salt and pepper are completely different. Their makeup is different, their taste and their color. But you always see them together. And when you... Hold on a second. What are you doing? Michael. Hey. What'd you do that for? Caleb, when two people get married, it's for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. I know that, but marriages aren't fireproof. Sometimes you get burned. Fireproof doesn't mean that a fire will never come, but that when it comes, you'll be able to withstand it. <clears throat> you didn't have to glue them together. Don't do it, Caleb. If you pull them apart now, you'll break either one or both of them. I am not a perfect person, but better than most. And if my marriage is failing, it is not all my fault. But Caleb, man, I've seen you run into a burning building to save people you don't even know. But you're going to let your own marriage just burn to the ground. Michael, you are my friend. And I've allowed you to speak freely with me on this job. Don't abuse it. Jesus calls us to covenant marriage, not convenient divorce. But the Pharisees are still not satisfied, and they go on to probe as we look at verse 7 through 9. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replies. You can almost hear in Jesus' words that he's saying Moses never commanded you to divorce. Divorce was never God's first plan. And Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Jesus is not an idealist here. He's a realist. And he knows our bent towards sin. Jesus realizes that couples often harden their hearts in marriage. He knows that in the marriage covenant, it can be so violated by a lifetime of infidelity and a lifetime of abuse. And hear me clearly today. Jesus is not saying that you should submit yourself to physical abuse or infidelity that endangers your life or the life of your children. What Jesus is talking about is our tendency to be so self-centered and so focused on what we want and what we didn't get and what we hoped things would be. It hardens our heart to the Holy Spirit. It hardens our heart to the needs of our spouse and to our family. In short, Jesus calls it what it is. Jesus says divorce is sin. It's the result of selfishness, just like every other sin. It's wanting what I want above what God wants. Divorce is never God's will, never his first plan. I don't know that I've ever counseled a couple to pursue a divorce. 
But having said that, I want you to know that if you have found yourself in divorce, God's grace is available for you today. It requires a confession of our heart as we humble before Him, repenting just like we do in any other time that we move away from God's plan. Friend, is in much love and grace as I can say it, you will never experience the forgiveness of God as long as you continue to blame somebody else and excuse your portion of responsibility as you justify your sin. Second, divorce is a last resort, not a right to be pursued. Back to C.S. Lewis's analogy of amputation. That's the last resort to save somebody's life. Divorce is like cutting up your body. It's not for my convenience or just to get out of jail free card. The church has bought into this culture of divorce, and I believe it's breaking the heart of Jesus. He wants us to stand in contrast to the culture, not to conform to it. Instead of seeking grounds for divorce over and over and what I can get out of, Jesus is calling us to reaffirm the foundation of marriage and start fighting for our marriages. Now hear me clearly again. God is not calling us as a church to run from couples who are headed for divorce. Quite the opposite. He's calling us to run to them and wrap our arms around them in love and to say we want to stand and fight for your marriage. For those who have experienced divorce, God is not calling us to hold them at arm's length and shame God is calling us to run to them and wrap our arms around them and say there is healing and restoration for you just like all of us have experienced from one reason or another. May God make us the kind of church that stands for marriages, that cheers them on, that blesses them. We are not here as a church just to sympathize with your struggles. We're not here as a church just to take your side or your spouse's side. We are here today to take the side of your marriage, to fight for your marriage, for God's sake, for your children's sake, and for society's sake. I want us to be that kind of community, and I believe many of you have that same heart as well. Why? Because love is is not a fight, but it's worth fighting for. As Pastor Edgar sings this song, I want you to listen to these lyrics and allow this truth from God's Word to be rooted in our heart this morning. Love is not a place to come and go as we please. It's the house we enter in, then Fight, but 
Pastor Brady, I I hear what Jesus' words are, and I'm not arguing that His words are truth. But it almost feels like you don't understand the turmoil that I'm in in my relationship. I I want to fight for it, but I I just don't know that I have it in me to do it anymore. One last time, I want us to look at this final video clip from Fireproof that I believe states it better than I can this morning. Let's listen to the hope of that we can have. Caleb, if I were to ask you why you're so frustrated with Catherine, what would you say? She's stubborn. She makes everything difficult for me. She's ungrateful. She's constantly griping about something. Has she thanked you for anything you've done the last 20 days? No. And you'd think after I wash the car, I've changed the oil, do the dishes, clean the house, that she would try to show me a little bit of gratitude. But she doesn't. In fact, when I come home, she makes me feel like I'm, like I'm an enemy. I'm not even welcome in my own home, Dad. That is what really ticks me off. Dad, for the last three weeks, I have bent over backwards for her. I have tried to demonstrate that I still care about this relationship. I bought her flowers, which she threw away. I have taken her insults and her sarcasm, but last night was it. I made dinner for her. I did everything I could to demonstrate that I care about her, to show value for her, and she spat in my face. She does not deserve this, Dad. I am not doing it anymore. How am I supposed to show love to somebody over and over and over who constantly rejects me? That's a good question. Dad, that is not what I'm doing. Isn't it? No. Dad, that is not what this is about. Son, you just asked me. How can someone show love over and over again when they're constantly rejected? Caleb, the answer is... You can't love her because you can't give her what you don't have. 
I couldn't truly love your mother until I understood what love really was. It's not because I get some reward out of it. I've now made a decision to love your mother whether she deserves it or not. Son, God loves you even though you don't deserve it. Even though you've rejected him. Spat in his face. God sent Jesus to die on the cross and take the punishment for your sin because he loves you. The cross was offensive to me until I came to it. But when I did, Jesus Christ changed my life. That's when I truly began to love your mom. Son, I can't settle this for you. This is between you and the Lord. But I love you too much not to tell you the truth. Can't you see that you need Him? Can't you see that you need His forgiveness? Yes. Will you trust Him with your life? morning. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And a little bit different today, I want to invite you right there at your seat where you're at. If the Lord has been speaking to you about your relationship, maybe tension and strife in your own marriage, maybe about a divorce that you have experienced, maybe about the fracture in a family that was not your choice in divorce, but somebody else put on you. I love the line that was shared. We cannot give what we don't have. It's true that our marriages are worth fighting for, but to fight for our marriage out of our own willpower and grit and might and determination will fail every single time. But when we recognize that there has been a covenant relationship with us, that God has been faithful to us far before we ever turn to Him. He wants to fill us with His love and cleanse us and forgive us of our own unrighteousness and through His love empower us to have a covenant marriage with our spouse. I want to invite you to bow your head and pray with me right where you're at today. If you're here this morning and you find yourself in a fractured relationship. I encourage you to cry out to your Heavenly Father as I pray today. Don't just listen to me pray. You pray in your own words, in your mind to Him. Father God, I lift up to you right now marriages across this room and the ones that are represented across this room. Lord, I pray that you would call us to conviction. To understand that we have not been faithful to you. And God, I pray that you would give us the boldness to confess and to repent of the disobedience in our life. 
And Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your love and your holiness and your mercy and your grace. And through your strength, not ours, would you empower us to love our spouse, not because they deserve it, but because we have entered into a lifelong covenant with them. Lord, you know the marriages that on the outside look stellar today. But behind the curtain, there are fractures that go deep in the heart. I pray that you would remind them that Grace Point is a place where they will be loved and encouraged. And Father, I pray today that those marriages will humble themselves before you and seek you out of a commitment to the covenant that they've made. Lord, I pray for the person here today who may not know you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you would open them up and allow them to see that if they confess the things that they have said and done wrong, and if they repent, be willing to turn from them with your help, that you will be faithful to forgive them and wipe the slate clean. Friend, if that's you, I encourage you to pray that right now and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin today. And allow the love of God to come into your life and to bring not only healing and restoration for your soul, but to bring restoration and healing to your relationships as well. And finally, Lord, I lift up the one who's here under the sound of my voice, who they have experienced divorce. Lord, I pray that you would guard them from the enemy's lies that wants to bring undue shame on them today. I pray that they will sense that we long to run to them and wrap our arms around them and, and allow you to bring restoration and healing and wholeness to their life. Father, as they have surrendered to you and allowed you to be in charge of their life, repented of the things that they have said and done wrong, Lord, I pray that you would allow them to lift their head high in you. Lord, bring healing to my brother and sister today who's in that situation. Above all, Father, I thank you for the equivalent of the relationship we have available to us that you have given in a marriage covenant. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for not treating our relationship with you as just something convenient as long as we do what you want. Lord, I pray that we would see your covenant love for us today. We ask and we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. May God bless you today. If you are here and you would like special prayer for you or your relationship or relationship of someone close to you, Carrie and I and Pastor Rex are going to be up front. We would love to be praying with you. Stop up front and give us the privilege of entering into prayer with you if you would. May God bless you. See you tonight at 6 o'clock as we... Look at Joseph's life and how to deal with the guilty conscience. God bless. You're dismissed.